Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad once again to be part of your journey towards product mastery, helping to develop products that your customers actually love and will use and cherish and recommend to others. This episode is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. This is the fastest way for product VPs and other leaders involved in product work to get their teams, get their product managers and everyone else that is involved in product work all on the same page, collaborating better, building trust with each other, learning a baseline of knowledge that helps everyone move faster together once they're through the experience. It's a great way to really increase performance. If you're interested in finding out about that, please go to the productmasterynow.com website and then slash RPM. So that's productmasterynow.com slash RPM. You can see how it can help you as well. Today, we're talking about roadmaps. Some of you have this as one of your favorite topics and some not so much, right? Some people love roadmaps and others really hate them. What can we do to make them better? Our guest has had some really good experience creating roadmaps from OKRs, objectives and key results. And he's gonna tell us how. And that guest is Michael Harrison. He's the head of product management for Fleetio, a SaaS company that automates fleet operations to keep vehicles and equipment running smoothly. As a reminder, if you want a detailed written summary of everything we talk about, including a one-page action guide that we create specifically for each episode, and so this action guide today will be for the key takeaways that Michael shares with us, you can find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 417. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Chad. It's a pleasure to be with you. I do enjoy talking about road mapping. My first encounter with road mapping was a very calendar-based system and didn't like that at all. It felt like it was tying my hands and things end up on the roadmap that others feel like are commitments and you end up having to do them even if you learn that you don't need to later. And you can't get some things on the roadmap that you really want to later because you know, you're past some deadline. So we've had some bad experiences with roadmaps at times. Before you have discovered the approach that seems to be working better for you now, tell us just about your experience. What was it that you've tried and worked through? Yeah, absolutely. I can empathize for sure with the idea that roadmapping is a four-letter word in product, <laughs> and it's something that we've struggled with a lot as well. I think it, it's some of what I think about roadmapping is just driven by the fact that I've seen Fleetio scale from early stage through what would now be considered more growth stage or scale-up stage. Mm -hmm. And I will say that the needs of our roadmap have changed a lot. When we were small, we I joined Fleetio, we were seven employees. And I think at that time, we operated on a pretty common project-based roadmap, just a series of features with goals and timelines for when we hope to deliver those. And to be honest, I actually think that worked pretty well. Nowadays, the wisdom and product is that feature-based roadmaps are the enemy and all they do is cause unmet expectations and things like that. But when you're small, I think it's pretty easy because your loops are... I think you can get away with a project-based roadmap. It actually keeps you more focused than if you spend a lot of time on ceremony to figure out what your outcomes are. It's for us... At our size now, we're steering a yacht instead of steering a John boat. And you want to minimize the number of times that you have to make major steers. But early on, you you can afford that. So we've really evolved as we've grown into needing more of an outcome-based roadmap just because it's something that naturally keeps you more aligned as you get bigger. So some evolution here in just experience and changes in what you need. Maybe that more traditional project-based approach worked when things were smaller. And then he realized you're, what, at 200 people now as an organization? Yep, a little over 200. Yeah, okay. Different scale. You've crossed the chasm. You have customers, more customers using the product. It's certainly growing. And wanting to keep everyone on the same page still. And this led you apparently to incorporating OKRs into your roadmaps. How did you come across this integration? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the first change that we made was switching to more theme-based roadmaps. And we started trying to grasp these narratives in part so that you could keep the whole organization aligned. If you have narratives for what you're building, it's very inspiring. And it also allows the go-to-market side of the organization to align with product more easily. And the content you produce and the sort of market segments that you're targeting, they can align with the product strategy if you have some sort of narrative. But what we found is that if you just select roadmap themes and you try to put them on a yearly cadence or something like that, it's hard to judge relative priority between themes. And it's hard to choose a cap for how many themes you should have. And in theory, almost everything is a good idea. If you're a customer-led organization, pretty much everything you come up with is probably a pretty good idea. The question is just, what are the best ideas? And that's where we've evolved in the last year. And to be clear, we really have not been doing OKR roadmaps that long, but we've been doing those about two quarters now. And has made a big difference for us on relative priority because it forces us at the top level to make sure that the organization's top OKR, and I can explain how we actually derive the stack, it allows us to to make sure that everything that we're building ties up directly to our company objectives. And it forces us to think about relative priority because we can only choose a couple things to ladder up to the top company objectives. So that's probably the biggest transition that we made at some point is you've got to have narratives, but you also need to have some cap on how those narratives tie to your strategy and how it's some way to measure which ones are actually making a difference. Yeah, I love that you talked about as a customer-led organization, everything is a good idea, right? Totally. And we have these discussions sometimes about, well, how do we select the product features? Of all the things we can do, which are we going to do? And I always come back to, this is relatively simple if you actually understand your customers well and you have good insights about their problems and their unmet needs, those latent needs, and really know how to create value. And I understand there's other stakeholders involved and sometimes they have a different perspective and and creates more challenges for us for selecting what to do next. But even then, as a customer-led organization, if we have that good understanding of what to do, as you said, what are the best ideas, right? We only have so many people, so much time to implement things. And we also don't want to clutter up our products, right? We don't want to do something that might be a good idea for some people, but not for all of our customers and don't want to clutter up our products. And so being able to pull out those best ideas is really important so that we're working on the things that are aligned with company objectives. That does raise the question, what if the objectives, what if the strategy right now isn't particularly right. We'll get back to where we were going real quick, but I'm curious about this. Have you found times, maybe this hasn't come up yet, maybe the strategic objective wasn't the helpful thing to guide OKR. Oh, we realize we might be going down the wrong path at the moment. Has that come up yet? It has absolutely come up and it remains the principal challenge of roadmaps. Are you going to pick the right things? And I think one of the most helpful philosophies that has shifted a lot in product the last few years, one of the most helpful slogans is just this concept that not all of your ideas are going to work. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of new age product companies are really starting to grasp the idea that a lot of their product efforts, even beautifully designed product might actually fail to achieve its objective. And one of the most helpful things for me was it was recently in a coaching session with Jana Bastal from Mm -hmm. ProdPad and Mind the Product. And she was encouraging me to think of the product team more like the marketing half of the organization where half of your ad dollars will be wasted. You just don't know which half yet. And I love that slogan. And it has helped me think a lot about the way that we plan product because it's true that a lot of the effort that we put in, especially we're an R&D team of 50 plus at this point, there's going to be a lot of activity each quarter. The question is what things will have the most impact and can you reduce the impact of the things that you're going to get wrong? And that's where the OKR structure has given us a way to measure the impact of things. We won't just have a flurry of activity every quarter. We will have a flurry of activity 
in specific categories that are measurable so that we know what which things are working and which things aren't. And we can have quick feedback loops for figuring out how to double down on the things that are working and how to abandon the things that aren't. Let's get into what this process then looks sure. like. Okay, let's do a little tutorial on how to construct this. Maybe starting on the OKR side, right? Putting that together and then how that ties into our road mapping. For sure. I'm probably going to wish I had a whiteboard for this, but I'll try and document it in such a way that, that, right? that we people love our can see that 100%. Yeah, it really is. The reason I think of it visually is that we think of it as a four-layer ladder. And the most significant thing that we've done, the most, the biggest transition we've made in the last year is that we tie everything that the company is doing up to the same OKRs at the top level. And we only have five of them, and they're really unchanging. And so even our cultural initiatives, even our operational tooling upgrades for internal employees and our product roadmap, they all ladder into the same objectives. So an example at the top level would be ARR, our annually recurring revenue in a business like ours. That is a North Star metric that is unchanging. Same thing, we have one for retention and expansion, which we measure with NRR, for example, our net revenue retention. So those would be examples of top level revenue, even when we're making framework upgrades or library upgrades, things that people would consider tech debt, we go through the process of trying to figure out how do those ladder up to our absolute North Stars at the company level. So that's level one is company strategy. Mm -hmm. Underneath that, we think of it as what does the product need to do over the next year, over the next 18 months? What do we need to get better at? What kind of mission do we need to be on for the product to do, to drive revenue, to drive retention and expansion? So that's our level two. Level three is what can we do this quarter? And that's where the time bound is actually very important because level two are just long running product missions. But level three, we want to say, we are going to do activity this quarter. Where do we want to be by the end of this quarter? And that's our outcome-based roadmap. What does the product need to achieve for users? What leading indicators can we measure in what we're building that would theoretically drive that level two product mission and tell us that we're charting our course? And then level four underneath that is our roadmap. Those are the ideas, the experiments, the features. I like to say these are loosely held ideas. These are things that we have low conviction on. They're just hypotheses for how we think we can drive our convictions that ladder up to the top. So to summarize it, I'll give you an example. I tell the team that it's often like a Mad Lib or I use the elevator test. If you hopped in the elevator at Fleetio HQ with our CFO and he said, hey, what's your product team working on this quarter? Can you get it out? It's about a 20 second ride up the elevator at the Fleetio headquarters. Mm-hmm. Could you actually tell the story of what we're working on? That In that conversation, a list of features is essentially meaningless, but a list of detached outcomes is also meaningless. So I really like the ladder structure because it allows you to say the company is trying to get better at customer retention and expansion. We're measuring that with NRR. So the product is trying to get better at technician adoption and serving the needs of fleet technicians. And to do that, we're focused this quarter on making sure that technician tasks are clear in the product. And what we're going to try is we're making a new technician dashboard. We're building a special persona-based task inbox for technicians, and we're automating their tasks from historical data. And that narrative right there is four layers that hopefully is a strategic narrative as well as a tactical narrative. Okay. So I love that example. And I just want to capture the components to help us know where they kind of slot in. So you started with the companies trying to get better at expansion, right? So this is the high level kind of current objective, right? And the the current North Star for a part of what you're doing to contribute. And then how are we going to measure that, right? So we're measuring that in in our, 
And then we want to better, to accomplish that, we want to better service the needs of our technicians, maybe past the quarter, right? But kind of what we can do in the near term timeframe. Exactly. And then specifically, we're trying to make things more clear for them what they have to work on next by improving the dashboard to give them that information, which is the features that go into your this quarter roadmap. Exactly. And what I love is that allows us to give teams autonomy. That's been such a buzzword the last few years in product is, can you give your builders autonomy? But I think it's really mm-hmm. important that you give them autonomy at the right level. I don't think it's good for product teams of a designer and an engineer and a product manager to be fully autonomous on strategy. That leads to a lot of thrashing. That's when you get yep. one team building a tunnel and one team building a bridge. So for us, it's actually been better to build high conviction as an entire organization around those top levels. And then you send the teams and they can run wild at level four. I want them to explore crazy ideas at level four because we're going to have a clear way to measure whether that autonomy is paying off. Yeah. I also want to point out that this is a little bit of the transition from product manager, right? And so when you started at Team of Seven, right, at Fleet, you were a product manager. Now you're head of product for the This is one of those transitions, right? We move from understanding what our customer needs and what we're working on now to satisfy those needs to a bigger picture of where's the organization going and how can I really talk at the executive level, right? Talk to the executives in a way that matters to them to communicate how we're working on product. And this is that transition that we need to make as product leaders as well. I interviewed Nancy Doraday a year or two ago about one of her new books about using data to tell the story. And in the interview, she talked about in all of our research with executives and our, and talking with executives, they only care about three things. So anytime you talk to an executive, you have to package your story in terms of something to do with growth right now, right? So how is this going to impact our revenue? Something to do with expansion, specifically our markets. Are we focused on growing the current market or expanding another market? Or something to do with risk? How does this relate to risk for us? Because those are kind of like the three big pillars their executives tend to be interested in. And your model here does a really good job of connecting that back immediately, right? It's like, we know what the, our vision is for maybe this year, right? What's our big objectives that we're going to try to accomplish? And what's a spe- specific met- metric and what are we going to work on? I love that example that you packaged up for us. Yeah, that's really good. And one of the things that I've seen is that as we've rolled this structure out, our product managers are becoming better business thinkers because they're able mm. to communicate with stakeholders in a, a using a business acumen that's driven from those objectives. Instead of just being great tacticians or delivery managers, they're having to tie everything out to, to make business cases back to the company's success, which is just making them more broad thinkers. And that's that picture of product management where we have business and tech and customer kind of overlapping together often and being better business people, really important. We'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. In just nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, product managers, teams, and leaders become product masters, creating more value for customers, their organization, and themselves. You will build a broad foundation of product management knowledge, get everyone on the same page, while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer, all resulting in higher performance. Participants feel empowered and more confident about their work. They learn how to create value for customers and revenue for their organization. One product leader who used the RPM experience across a global organization said it is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective it did exactly what I needed. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience, and you'll find them listed at productmasterynow.com slash RPM. 
go to the same URL and schedule time to talk about how Chad and his team can help you and your organization. So it sounds like this has helped you also have better communication with other leaders in the organization and that it's been helping product managers and business terms more. Have you seen other advantages, benefits as head of product and creating this OKR approach? Yeah, I think a lot of the product leaders listening to this can probably empathize with the idea that we lose sleep over the opportunity cost of our decisions. When we get mm. bigger and we have bigger teams, it is such a frustrating feeling if you don't feel in control or you don't feel like you know the main direction that the organization is rowing in. And I think having this OKR structure at minimum gives me on paper a way to feel like, okay, our activity is rowing in a direction that I believe in and that I can trust. And it's not just a series of disconnected teams that I have to check in with every so often to make sure they're on course. So in a strategy sense, it helps me sleep better at night for sure. Just knowing that our activity is, is going in a consistent direction. And then I think on the tactical side as well, it really helps me coach product managers and designers and engineers specifically on, on the autonomy of what they're building. It gives us a way to to know that we're only a couple weeks away at most from measuring what we're doing. And we can't really dig a hole too far before realizing we weren't supposed to go in that direction because we have some fallback. It's some safety net that's measurable that allows us to test our hypotheses. So I'm already seeing tactically that I'm in, in less emotional conversations about ideas that people feel like their their beloved idea, something they came up with that they really want to execute. We can actually analyze an idea with a little bit more of a systematic approach because we know we'll have a way to measure it and our process is more important than our outcome. So really good benefits that losing sleep over, are we really aligned to what is important to do next or not? Absolutely. And someday the question might be, we got the top level wrong. The, exactly. You know, the, we figured that out, but we're going to figure that out probably faster now than we might have otherwise. But we still know that we're aligned, right? But together, we recognize, hey, strategy isn't always right. And sometimes we have the wrong strategic objectives. And we thought something was important to the market, and it turned out that it wasn't. You mentioned in here that we would be able to measure the impact really quick. And you said something earlier about leading metrics. And sometimes when I have metric conversations, Sometimes people think about those lagging metrics on the end, right? So we grow revenue, we grow profit, we reduce costs, the business is successful. But as product people, that doesn't really help us know if we're going down the right path. Sure. That's all really late information. If we're B2B and we lost the sell, none of that information tells us why we lost the sell. How do you think about leading metrics in this? And maybe I missed it in that example too that you shared earlier. Like Maybe you can give us an example of what you might look at to tell you earlier that you're on the right path. Yeah, that's a great question. So we actually separate leading metrics and lagging metrics at the levels of that OKR structure. So we have our North Star metrics for net revenue retention, for example. Then at level two on our product mission, those are almost always a lagging metric of some time, some kind. There it's some sort of health metric around user sessions, some sort of NPS metric, something that generally takes a long time to move but we believe it to be an important measure of our health. So the real important thing is that at level three, when we start getting into our quarterly outcome, like the technician example that I used earlier, we're trying to earn the attention and the action of technician users in Fleetio. We need something that's a leading metric that we are hypothesizing will move our lagging metric over time. And so in that example, we might treat a lagging metric as technician user sessions and just a broad thing where we want to increase the number of user sessions per technician over a long period of time. To lead that, we might say, 
every day we want to look at the number of tasks completed by technician users in Fleetio. And we believe that if over time we give more tasks and we give more ways for technicians to complete tasks, then over time there will be more user sessions and we'll see the adoption lag and catch up to what we're seeing on the front end with what we can influence by by our features. So we think about it as at level three, you should be able to measure that every day and it be meaningful. Whereas something like NPS or user sessions every day is probably a little bit too noisy. You really should look at that on a more lagging cycle. It is extremely important that you get those metrics right. And that's probably the biggest area where we're still not operating perfectly. And we never will because this is all about probabilities and being just trying to make better decisions, not necessarily optimal decisions. But the area that is still difficult for us is you sometimes will pick leading metrics that don't actually impact your lagging metrics. And you might... Get technicians doing more things in Fleetio and it not lead to, to better adoption or broader adoption. And that's just a risk that you take. And I think it's very important for us that when we choose a metric, we try to play out the game. We sometimes I call them kill criteria or pre-mortems, try to actually write what would happen if we hit this metric? What would happen if we didn't hit this metric? And if it doesn't, if it just leads to more questions, then we probably chosen a poor metric. Okay. So a lot of good things in there as well to that we could dive into. But I love that you're thinking about the leading metrics that we need, right? And helping the team think about this. And I'm sure this is a discussion, right? Based on everyone's experience so far with the customer, what might give us some indications if we're on the right path or not, right? And as you said, it's a hypothesis. We need to figure out how we might be able to test this and how long that might take us. Is this the right one to use or not? But if we have nothing in place, then we're not watching anything. And we won't know until much later where it's more painful to maybe realize that we were in the wrong place. So having that discussion, making some assumptions about what might be a really good leading indicator for us, we don't know that right away, right? The more experience we get with customers, some of these things we discover, I forget the exact number we've discovered after some time, this was early in their life, right? How many people need to have friends joining their network in their first two weeks that really ensures that they're going to keep using Facebook or not, that that became a key metric for them. So thinking about this is important. And then you said something, a really good tool, a pre-mortem thing. Can you describe that and how you guys use it? Yeah, for sure. So oftentimes I'm challenging the team. We have a very written product culture, something I believe in, is that you build your convictions through writing. And I want product managers to be great, compelling, persuasive writers. And one of the template items in our product briefs that our product managers write is, what are the key beliefs? What are you operating within? What is your hypothesis? And one of the reasons that we write that is so that we can be very systematic to say, there are ways that this could fail. There are things that we might be overlooking. There is a belief that we're operating within and we're not 100% certain that this will go right. And I try to probe teams to explore why could this go wrong? What are the scenarios in which you would know that you're on the wrong path? And one of the, one of the thinkers that I most admire that has influenced my leadership a lot is Annie Duke. Uh, who's now an author, was a, a former a professional poker player. And she's written a series of great books, my favorite of which uh, is called Thinking in Bets. And she writes a lot about this concept of kill criteria, where you need to be, when you're making a decision, be aware ahead of time, what are the scenarios that could play out that would tell me it's time to abandon this or to kill this? It's extremely important to, to know those things ahead of time, because usually once you're in the middle of executing your idea, you don't take inputs as seriously. You, you have a subjective bias because you've put sunk cost and emotional cost into what you're building. We try to think of those things ahead of time when we're actually defining an opportunity long before we're actually building it. Yeah, backing up and taking that activity 
A lot of us on projects, or if we're doing sprint retrospectives, we'll have the lessons learned type of session at, at some exactly. point at the end of the project, end of each sprint cycle, what makes sense for us. And that is looking back on what went right here, what do we want to keep, what do we want to change, what do we want to get rid of. And the pre-mortem is flipping that and saying, if everything went right, what would have to, what would have, to have happened? And if things did not go right, what could have gone wrong? And helping us think, as you said, what are the scenarios that could play out that might tell us, oh, gosh, if we see this, we're on the wrong path. Exactly. Looking backwards and looking forwards are both such important skills for PM. So the retro is equally as important. Love all the great information, really specific insights here for listeners. And we'll make sure there's this is all written up for listeners, too, to go back and capture these easier. Any challenges that you're still running into using this approach? Things that you're still going through, like that you want to tweak or wrestling with how to, how to make something better for the team or for the product team or the executive team? Yeah, I would say two things that happen when you're very metrics-based or outcome-based in your robot planning is, one, you just pick bad metrics sometimes. And we talked a little bit about how mm -hmm. to get a little better about that. And the other thing that happens is I think your tendency is to make less major swings, is to be less ambitious as a product team. If you're trying to be outcome-based and you're trying to measure everything, well, you want as many green metrics as possible. You want to be as hitting as many things as possible. And so you tend to try and make something more achievable when you outline it. And the way that I'm trying to push against that, although I don't think we've done this perfectly, is just I've mentioned it a couple of times. I'm really into probabilities and game theory. It's a lot of what I read about and I'm fascinated by. It's a lot of what got me into product. One of my favorite principles in game theory is what do you win when you win? And that's something I'm mm -hmm. really trying to apply to the way we design metrics is I want to design metrics that if we actually hit that metric, we're thrilled. And sometimes that would actually be a metric that we probably can't hit or we're not likely to hit. But if you have a 10% chance of hitting a 50x outcome, that's a good bet. That's a bet you should take. And I think that is something I'd love to see us get better at as we design metrics in the future. Is sometimes we need to take really ambitious swings because the payoff, you know, what we win when we win is worth the low probability effort that we're going to put forth to it. I know that's a little bit theoretical probably, but that's probably the main trend that I've noticed as we've gotten more outcome-based is just you're, the human nature is to take less risks. Yeah. It's a problem with OKRs over time, right? Because we want to see that green that we're hitting things. I think the Google's experience with this and OKRs, is, and maybe back originally to until where the start was thinking about 70%, right, that, that we're hitting on a scale of 100% of what we hit, 70% is a good number. Exactly. But it, I think you, we feel that pressure in some sense to be measured by our peers, if not officially on the performance review, but we want to see higher numbers over time. In all kinds of ways, as individuals, we tend to start gaming metrics in our perceived favor, right? Exactly. <laughs> Just human nature. Yeah. And part of this is the culture, which sounds like you have a good handle on that you want to cr have an aspect of the culture like, yeah, we're also not afraid to take those big swings, to talk about when is when are the opportunities to try to take those big swings and recognize, yeah, 10% chance of winning. If we win one in 10, that's worth it, Absolutely. right? But we recognize we're going to not hit it a lot of the time, but that one in 10 might be worth it. Absolutely. Yep. That's how I'm trying to get us to think, but that's a hard, you have to go against your nature a little bit. Wonderful information, good insights for us. As listeners know, we love a good innovation quote as well. Can you share what you brought with us and also what that one means to you? Yes, this quote is from the famous physicist John Wheeler, and it's, as our island of knowledge grows, so does the shore of our ignorance. 
as the, our island of knowledge grows, so does the shore of our ignorance. And I just love this paradox. I was exposed to this in, for the first time in a book called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, which has been a big book in shaping my leadership framework in general. And he quotes that John Wheeler quote, just to, to outline this paradox that for things that are worth learning in life, it often feels like the further you get, the further away you are. And I think that's such a beautiful paradox. It's so important for product people to be the type of perpetual student that is obsessively curious, that is really fascinated by what they don't know. And it's actually something I look for a lot when I'm hiring product managers. I'm just as interested in a product manager that is confident in what they don't know as how confident they are in what they do know, because we just have to be that kind of curious, eager student. When we get more customers, we get more market share, we get more inputs, that actually is more opportunity. It's more to learn from, not necessarily more that we know. There's always more detail there. I remember as an engineering student, I got interested in fractals, right? This idea, yeah. like, as you look at a leaf and you look more closely at a leaf, you see the leaf showing up in a part of that. And you look more closely at that part, you see it showing up again. And there's more and more detail the closer you look at the information. And the fractal, the graduate fractal course I took actually kicked me <laughs> one way and out <laughs> the other, but nonetheless, it was good. That's a perfect yeah. metaphor for discovery, for customer discovery. I love yeah, that. Yeah, there's always more there. And checking our egos in the process, that, that's a good tip too. It sounds like an interesting book to check out. You said The Ego of the... Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Ego, Ego is the Enemy. Okay. Yeah, really valuable book for product managers in particular, where humility or earning the admiration of your peers is so important in this role. The leaders I respect uh, certainly have exhibit humility as well. Absolutely. Okay. Michael, love the quote. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for being with us and all the great information. How can people just find out more about you, the kind of the work you're involved in? Best place is probably LinkedIn. I'd love to hear mm -hmm. from anyone, Michael Harrison or just Michael Fledio in the search should pull me right up. Would love to connect. I always learn a ton from talking to other product minds. So most of the things that I've referenced here are things that someone has taught me at some point in time. Would love the chance to chat with anybody through LinkedIn. We're also hiring. We've, I think Fleetio in general has 30 plus roles open right now on fleetio.com slash careers. And I'm personally hiring a product manager right now looking for someone to lead growth, someone who can really own our product-led growth motion throughout mm -hmm. the product. So if there are any growth product managers out there, I'd love to talk to you as well. But yeah, LinkedIn and fleetio.com slash careers. That's fantastic. Will that be a remote position or someone that you want down in Alabama? That will be remote. We do love co-location for creative roles for certain mm -hmm. things. And most of our product managers that are remote today will come in a couple times a year and do certain types of collaboration. But we, I think we've optimized a very good hybrid culture with the majority of our employees now being full-time remote. Okay, fantastic. I'm sure there'll be some people that hear this that will want to reach out and see if there's a need or opportunity in the future. Please do. Great. Michael, once again, thank you for all the wonderful information. Yes, Chad, I appreciate the opportunity to come share and hope to learn more from everyone else that's listening. And once again, listeners, you will find that written summary of everything that we talked about and that one-page takeaway with key insights from Michael in there at productmasterynow.com slash 417. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.